As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello there, Internet. Welcome back to another episode of Real Psych. I am Dr. J.D. Barton, and I am a licensed clinical psychologist. And I am Dr. Joanna Witkin, and I am a cognitive neuroscientist. Real Psych is a podcast where we share our gorgeously thoughtful opinions on the psychological phenomena playing out in all of your favorite movies. J.D., will there be learning? Mm-hmm. Will there be science? Yeah... Will there be delightfully informal, explorational, informational conceptualizations from two best friends who would be talking about this anyways? Yeah. 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 God. Uh, I noticed that you, you dropped the new from uh, Real Psych is a new podcast. We are, we are more than six months in, so we're still in season yeah. one. But yeah, I just feel like uh, maybe we're new to you if you're listening. And if that's the case, welcome. We've got a whole bunch yeah, of great. old episodes. <laughs> <laughs> no, welcome. I feel good about it. I feel like six months is a good threshold. Yeah, right? We're well we're well into our stride. This is episode 29. Crazy. Yeah, people will ask me, like, what kind of movies have you done? And I'm like, I don't know. Look it up. It's in the thing. I literally have forgotten movies. Totally. Fully forgot. Totally. Totally. But they're all special. They're all special, especially the ones that are suggested by our g -g -g gorgeous fans. Absolutely. Absolutely. Is How that a little foreshadowing? That this is a gorgeous? Uh, no. <laughs> oh, okay. I, that would have been really good. <laughs> no, I would love that. Um, no, it is not. But how are you? How are you doing, Joanna? I'm, I miss I'm you. I'm good. I miss you, too. I uh, actually just booked a trip to Miami. <laughs> Work. Where we met. Um, that is I've been, like, the scene of the crime. Weirdly, it must have been. I never thought I would ever want to go there again. No. No. Offense, no. To people who live there but yeah no. I just really thought like as I left in the middle of COVID 
when it was the epicenter was literally as I was leaving the state. I was wow. like, I will never see you again. <laughs> but then I just, I don't know, I got a Jones in for it. I miss it. What do you miss? What are you going to do? What's your favorite thing? What's the first thing you're going to do? I mean, not not a surprise, but Salty Donut is number one. Oh, okay. Fix. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, you do love a donut. Do you love a donut? Do you love that donut specifically? Um, and then I want to go snorkeling. Remember Cute. when we did that? Yeah, uh, we went out like to I, Key Largo. Mm-hmm. And it was like a little day trip. Yeah. To be able to like snorkel in tropical waters as a day trip. That was just yeah. like so wild. Um, and I want to, what was the other thing? Um, just like showing my boyfriend like South Beach and stuff. Like he's not been and cute stomping grounds i don't think i'll visit um oops i don't I know. mean you don't really need to take him to fairchild tropical botanical gardens that's my favorite place great in idea. all of miami great idea yeah um yeah y'all joanna and i met in <laughs> miami in 2015 and we became friends yeah. because we started quoting oh my god we started quoting jenny slate we just did jenny Literally. slate a few a few and we talked about how we loved her i don't i don't think we acknowledged how much she was really like a foundational presence in our the very beginning of our relationship Mona yeah, Lisa Saperstein Mona Lisa yeah like your spot on delivery I was like who is this person changing yeah. my life he was he was transitioning out of being an actor and was <laughs> thirsty for attention and you yeah, provided like that at, attention <laughs> it was at a an interview weekend like event yeah it was at an interview weekend event which for for a lot of grad programs but particularly like psychology grad programs they have these like whole weekend long interviews that are so intense and so we met at like a luncheon interview mm-hmm. thing which like it's a weird balance of like wow this is so intense and so cool and like they really are trying to like court you but also like pay for your own plane ticket find somewhere to stay good luck I slept actually on on uh, an air mattress in the house of a grad student so I felt like I was being interviewed the whole time spoiler alert I you was yeah. yeah you certainly are you are interviewed being on the other side of that yeah oh my god do you want to hear a real nightmare <laughs> story about yes. an interview weekend so I had an interview uh, at another school that I will not share because this story is a nightmare um oh y'all uh get ready for this and I was like getting ready I was staying at this uh this lovely young woman's house uh, apartment in uh, a city that will not be named and I was getting (laughs) ready for the interview day and I was like you know I get up and I shower and you're very in your head about it right because you know and usually Mm -hmm. you'll have like like almost like between four and six hours of interviews basically you'll meet with like different people and the staff you'll meet with like all different faculty you'll have a a meeting usually with students or like whatever right there's a lot you got to be on your best you got to answer a lot of questions. You got to seem so smart. And I was so in my head about it. And I was like getting ready and I shower and brush my teeth. Like I'm looking at myself in the mirror and then I'm like, okay, let me clean up everything in the bathroom. Cause like, you know, you have your little like, you know, toiletry kit. And as I'm putting mm-hmm. everything back in my toiletry kit, I realize I have two toothbrushes. And I was like, why do I have two toothbrushes? And then I realized I used her toothbrush. No, <laughs> no. <laughs> we had the same exact toothbrush. Okay, well, at least that's They like were identical. They were identical <laughs> okay. toothbrushes. But it was just this thing where, like, it had been sitting in the cup. And I was like, yeah, that's my toothbrush. And I just, like, because I had brushed my teeth the night before as well. Like, this was sure. the morning. But I fully was just like, there's no what way. Did, 
it's already done. Do? I've now used both of these toothbrushes, so yeah, I just never told her. Just they're both yours now, and I mean it's better. It's yeah. better that she just finds a new one than you put it back, right? Right. <laughs> I just like stole her toothbrush, I guess. Right, but like, oof, that is what a pickle. What a pickle. Um, yeah. Uh, so Yeah, I mean I also I had a ton of other interviews as well, so I won't even bore you with all those stories because <laughs> there's so many. <laughs> just so many. Just interview stories. Hey, yep. all you need is all you need is what the one. All you need is one. And, and you hey, and I listen, <laughs> who graduated from the University of Miami of the two of us? Very true. Very Not true. me. <laughs> I did graduate, guys, from grad school. I just left yeah, yeah. and went to other <laughs> can you I imagine if you're just like lying this whole time this whole time i'm not really a, a psychologist no i uh <laughs> that just it didn't stick um anyway well there is another path for you a better one a cooler yeah, one for sure um also the professor i was working under has been famously uh fired <laughs> so sorry yeah. resigned famously resigned right um but we I won't talk about telling that, that story yeah. I know, right? We're not going to get all into that, but if y'all want to DM about the about the deets, it's oh. good. Salacious. We'll spill it. Speaking of salacious, I am so excited about this movie. I'm so excited about this movie. Me too. I'm freaking out about this movie. Really? Is it going to be a fun one? No. Okay. Yeah, of course. Awesome. It's going to be so fun. Okay. Um, <laughs> it's going to be so fun. Okay, this movie is from 1993. Mm-hmm. So 10 years before we were born. <laughs> yeah. Okay. The tagline, 1993. She makes dinner. She does windows. She reads bedtime stories. She's a blessing. In disguise. Oh my god. <laughs> this is a good one. This Okay, I have totally toyed with choosing this one, but I haven't. Mrs. Doubtfire. Yes. Yes. Oh Mrs. my God. Without a doubt fire. Look at you, Dr. <laughs> Whitkin. Uh, because I have been on this wavelength and like wanted to choose this one. Oh, this is a good one. There's so much to talk about. There's so much to talk about with this one. It's there's so much to talk about. Uh, there's so much to talk about. I'm so excited. How, how many times have you seen this movie? At least 10,000. Yeah, I but I have not I seen this movie since probably like 2006 or seven. Okay, so I saw this movie, you know, like when I was a kid, and then also there was like kind of a before and after. I don't know, like a early life, later life kind of viewings. And I know there was some point, some viewing when I was like in my twenties that I was watching this, and I was like, I think that. This is not as zany as it seemed yeah. originally. Yeah. This is serious. Like, what's her face? Sally Field. Like Sally dang. Field. Sally Field. Oh, just trying to make it work. Just trying to do her best. And trying I feel to do like her she best. is not she is not given the credit for like how hard she's working to give everybody a good life. She's really doing her best. She loves this man. She, she totally loves does. Robin Williams. She cares mm-hmm. deeply for him. And she cannot keep trying. She cannot keep doing all the hard work. Always yeah. being the bad guy. 
Yeah. Always being the heavy. Um, I mean, really, like, I think that this, like, has, as we've aged, just, yeah, we've really shaped a lot to be like, wait a second. Also, don't, like, disguise yourself as, like, a nanny so you can, like, low-key live with your ex-wife and, like, Oh, there's there's some problematic stuff there. Yeah, of of just like the the disrespect of it, right? Yeah, just like absolutely not like be. I mean, it's it's very selfish. It's very selfish. I mean, I think the narrative, and and I'm looking forward to watching and getting the tone. But the narrative really is like, wow, isn't this dad amazing? He cares so much about his kids. Right. Right. And yeah. yeah, it's, uh, it's a little bit more than that. It's yeah. a little bit more than that. Um, I'm already I, looking forward to the like number of just like semi transphobic jokes we're going to get in it. Um, yeah. or, or probably yeah, yeah, fully yeah. transphobic. Let's be real. But, uh, but like, it's a joke guys. Like, <laughs> right. It's going to be that. It's going to be a lot of that. Yeah. I I'm thinking of the Harvey Firestein of it all. The Harvey Firestein of it all. <laughs> Uh, can you make me a woman? Oh, I thought you'd never ask. <laughs> Very good impression. Thank really you. Good. Thank you. See, once again, I'm still that just like former actor just asking for attention. And you, unfortunately, keep giving it to me, Joanna. So I cannot help it. It's my favorite thing. Total, total instigator over here. Um, I'm so excited <laughs> to talk about this movie. Yay! I don't even know where the hell we're going to go with it because there's just so much. Um, this was also there's suggested also like, by so many people. Yeah, the, and there's there's like stuff that I feel like we have touched on before. So like, oh, totally. Yeah, I'm excited to see where we go. Where we go, how it sort of how it grows from previous conversations we've had, but also just like, dang, dang. But We're also go, fun. <laughs> oh, fun, real fun. We're about to go on a dang, but like in a coaster. fun way. It's like a fun dang. It's gonna be dang fun. <laughs> Yeah. All right, y'all. We are going to take a little bit of a break, and we will be back having watched and researched this movie. Bye-bye. Heck yeah. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Delight of a movie. Yes. Delight of a movie. 
it holds uh, up and it doesn't hold up, but it holds up. You know what I mean? It, I, you know, we spoke about it before the break, and I think it really like it bears repeating, even though y'all heard it five seconds ago. But like <laughs> the the shift is how much you understand the perspective of Miranda, uh, Sally Field. Totally, totally. You understand that she is not mean mommy. Right. She is not mean mommy. Also, uh, understanding that like Pierce Brosnan's a good guy in this. I know. I thought that was something like it occurred to me at the end as well of like waiting for him to do something shitty and he never did. And you're like, oh, he's just he's just nice and he loves her and like he really cares about the kids. And, you know, like there's no angle there. It's yeah, he's he cares about those kids. He and really and he really is into uh, Miranda. Miranda and yeah, he's got his life together i think because he's rich right. he's so different from robin williams that we're supposed to right. think like he must be and you i think he's angling he is angling to get her like he is angling to woo her right but i don't know that he's angling in a way that like so many other things right really pit this like um you know potential stepfather as like a bad totally person. and i think too this movie came out in a time where that was even more kind of controversial to have a movie where there's no quote unquote happy ending where the parents, the divorced parents get back together. Yeah. And kind of making that choice where there's still a happy ending though. Yes. Because it, it does end really wonderfully. It ends really, really nicely. And I love, I, I was thinking that exact thing. You know, we've talked a lot on this podcast. I talk a lot in therapy about how like movies don't give us realistic uh like expectations of relationships because most relationships end. Mm -hmm. In fact, all relationships end at some point. Mm -hmm. Right. And movies, we don't get the thing of like how to have a healthy breakup, how to have totally. and, and how to be okay with the fact that you had in this case, 14 years together. Mm -hmm. They were married, I think for 14 years, give or take uh, the oldest daughter's yeah, 14, something right. like that. Mm -hmm. But um, or maybe she said we've been struggling for the last 14 years. So I don't know that they've been, they've been struggling for 14 years since they had kids, I imagine. Mm. And you know, this, this movie is about settling the dust after a divorce. Yeah, it's absolutely. And I'll, I'll also let's do a little bit of a disclaimer. I was talking actually, uh, with friend of the pod, Miles McKenna yesterday, uh, Cute. And he was like, so like, where do you stand with this movie? Like, is this movie transphobic? And my response was like, no more so than any other movie. Uh, in the sense that like, this movie is not proactively transphobic because Robin Williams' character is not trans, right? This, per this is right. not a trans story. This isn't a right. story about a trans person at all. This is a story about a man pretending to be a woman. So right. it, it you know, and of course, people talk about it as this sort of like gender bending, whatever. This is costume. And, and this is mm -hmm. similar to like um, similar to what we talked about a little bit in um, She's the Man. But it's different in the sense that like he's doing this costume uh, and, and people really think of this like woman portrayal as like this this whole thing. And really, this isn't even a movie about gender. There's some gender stereotypes in here. Of course, it's a film. Where are you going to find a film without gender stereotypes? There's a right. couple um, sort of transphobic jokes 
that are made. Um, a couple things where you sort of see the like negative tone of this scene as like deviant behavior, like wearing women's clothing. For sure. I mean, there's there's actually so I don't. I guess okay. I have some thoughts. Okay. So some of it is there are points where, for example, when the children, I find out that it's yeah, and there's him. some pejorative terms that get used. Yes, in, in and, there, blending and pronouns. Just thinking, thinking about if this were someone who is trans, right. That this would be a very traumatic right. kind of and experience. Right, and even um, uh, Matthew Lawrence, I can't remember his name in the movie, but. Matthew Lawrence, uh, mm. like after he finds out that Mrs. Doubtfire is his dad, he's not willing to hug him. Right. Because he's very And he's like, it's a guy thing. He's like, yeah, I get it. You know? Yeah, I get it. It's a guy thing. It's, yeah, yeah. It's whatever. Yeah, it's like, oh, okay. He's it's like afraid to touch his hand. That you're disgusted even. by me. Um, mm-hmm. So that's, but that, and that's what I mean though by this film is no more transphobic than anything else. Right? Like the, I remember right. an episode of Friends once where like, Somebody walks in, I think Rachel walks in on like Chandler wearing like a dress or heels or something and like spinning around in the room or whatever. And he says like, I, I'm going to go take this off. And Rachel looks at him and goes, I think it's important that you do. Right. Right. So it's the, it's that kind of transphobic joke where it's like, uh oh, it means something bad about you if you like this. Mm-hmm. But Robin Williams does not like it. Uh, and so that, that that's all I mean. It's like, it's not. Well, yeah, to your point, like, it's not a story about a trans person. It's not a story about a trans person. This isn't a story think... about transitioning. Right. Right. And it is one of the only, like, there's actually a lovely example of a gay couple in this film. Yeah. Harvey, Harvey Firestein plays like an out gay person. Yeah. There's Uncle and Frank and Aunt Jack. Uncle Frank and Aunt Jack, which I don't love that joke, but. <laughs> Um, assume, you know, in the world of this, I'm assuming Jack is on board with this and this is like, that's what, yeah, that was my assumption was like, uh, Jack was the one who, uh, came up with that. Sure. Let's say. Maybe. Uh, I don't know. Like it's, it's, it is one of those jokes where it's like, uh, you have to make one, the man and one, the woman in that gay relationship. I don't love that. But in the same way that like they make some transphobic jokes too, that like, sure. Mm -hmm. Um, and so. Yeah, I, ju- I just want to clear that out for those that are listening and being like, rut row, like, why aren't they talking about the, like, the gender of this all? The, uh, really, like, this movie is far less about gender than so many of the other things. And She's the Man was more about gender because she was trying to prove by doing boy right. things that that right. girls can do what boys can do. So that that film, we spent the whole time talking about gender because it was about proving herself as an actor. Exactly. This yeah, is just I mean- a- gaining access to his children. Exactly. This is very much like coping after divorce and being a non-custodial parent yeah woof all right let's synopsize this okay yeah let's do it what happened was so we open on robin williams is like a voice actor i mean there's so many things that just like are robin williams playing to his strengths it's just like really fun truly and when you know i was what like six when this came out and i just remember loving it so much for like how he just seemed like such a fun dad right so he's like, yeah, doing a voiceover acting. He sees uh, for like a cartoon. In the cartoon, there's like a mouse or a bird like there's smoking bird. and he's like not okay with it. And then he gets fired. Yeah, he um, gets fired because he refuses to do the smoking thing. Um, he goes, goes home, picks up his kids. And decides to throw a birthday party for his son, Matthew Lawrence, who's turning 12. 
Uh, and they're like, even no, though he got bad grades, he wasn't. Yeah, he's not and allowed mom to have, said he's yeah, yeah, not allowed to have a birthday party. And so he throws a birthday party with like a full on like petting zoo. Mm-hmm. It's like a total chaos. Yeah, like There's like so many kids there, crazy partying, like dancing, animals all over the place. The neighbor gets annoyed because there are animals like in her yard. She calls. Miranda, the mom at work, because she's like this uh, interior successful designer, designer. For this, like, which is another one of those jobs where it's always like magazine editor, interior designer, mm-hmm. these jobs. And mm-hmm. also, like, l- let's be frank, she is insanely successful because super successful. I mean, her name's on the in the company. She's a partner in the company. Yeah. The company's obviously a big deal. But also that house that they live in in San Francisco. Oh my I God, looked it I up can't. on Zillow. Did you? I looked it up on Zillow. Joanna, how much do you think that house in San Francisco is worth today? Oh, my God. I don't like $3 million. Double that. It is $6.2 million, that house. Oh, my goodness. I mean, it is a ridiculous house, yeah. It's built I, in like the 1830s or something like that. It looks wild. I looked at all the, all the things. Wild. Um, I'll, I took a screenshot of it. I'll put it in the Instagram stories if y'all want to yeah, look. Yeah, that's fine. Um, um, but anyways, yeah. yeah. So she gets a call. is like, there's an emergency. Rushes home with like a cake and some gifts that she was planning on, you know, doing a little something for her son, even though she like forget, forbade having a party. Sees this mess. I mean, gets really there's furious. wild animals all over the place. It is... It is obviously like a hyperbolic kind of example of like him being mm-hmm. like wild and crazy. But it is one of those things where she comes home to the police there. Um, yeah. She comes home to her husband dancing on the standing on the table, dancing with kids while there's just kids running all around. There's a horse in her house. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like and and that the thing he was like, mom's not going to be home for four hours. So he's already yeah, very much undermining kids. her. He's triangulated yeah. these kids in a way where now he's the fun one and she's the heavy. Mm-hmm. She gets everybody out and, you know, in this conversation, the three kids are listening on the stairs and she says, I'm, I can't do this anymore. I want a divorce. Mm-hmm. And he's like, no, 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 we can't. And she's like, I'm done. Yeah. Which like, again, as kids, it was like, oh, man, she's so mean. What a fun right. party they were having. Right. And as adults, it's like, how did she make it this far? Yeah. How? But this is like what it's like. Yeah. And How? having no support from your partner, right? Who is undermining you. And who quit. He also quit his job that day. Yeah. He quit. Which, granted. Yeah. He, so the narrative that we get in this film, though, is like he's a really fun dad. He's a dad who cares so much about his kids. He's very principled. He doesn't want to just do this voiceover job mm-hmm. just to do it. Which, like, great. So they really paint him with such a silver brush. Like, just right. gorgeous little shiny outline. Mm-hmm. Um, so you have to as, make him as redeeming as possible. As basically. redeeming as possible. As the divorce proceedings go on, they say that um, for the first three months, uh, because he doesn't have a job and he doesn't have an apartment, he's not granted joint custody. He only gets them one day a week, mm-hmm. which is devastating to him. The one yeah. thing he's he knows he's you know good at, the thing he loves the most in the world is his kids. Mm-hmm. Um, and Sally Field decides to hire a housekeeper you start to see a little fraying where she's like dropping the kids off late and picking the kids up early and he's getting particularly frustrated Uh, I think very common uh, frustrations for newly divorced parents who are trying to work out these things interestingly like there's no conversation about like um, 
like palimony or alimony and like the like her paying him she's so much wealthier that like actually it, he likely would get money um, oh i didn't know that yeah yeah he, he probably could um and and again this also there's a lot of movies of the 90s that are very like which parent gets custody when like most divorces the parents are able to sort of work out their own custody or they'll like agree legally to 50 50 custody and they'll sort of plan out you know maybe it's 60 40 one week or 70 30 another or like whatever most, most yeah divorces actually uh, are. i looked at some statistics on that because i was like they're in litigation for mm-hmm. this seriously when it's like so some statistics real quick i know we're in the middle oh of yeah here, but 90% of parents settle child custody cases without a judge's ruling. Yeah. Um, and just 4% of custody cases between parents who cannot reach a settlement outside the court um, require a trial. Right. So. it's the But it's the thing that makes good movies, right? And it's the right, thing that right. we really like, you know, there, there's a lot it's of things, a lot of themes in movies where it's like for a kid to have to, they also make social workers always out to be like the most evil people. Mm-hmm. Um, anyways, speaking of. One of the conditions of Robin Williams, uh, you know, court stuff is that twice a week a social worker is going to come to his house on Monday nights and Friday nights, which is also like, what? Like he has no, this is, this does seem highly unlikely with the exception of like somebody who's like abusing drugs with the exception of somebody Mm -hmm. who is like, um, you know, on parole. You know what I mean? This is the kind of thing where it's like, like, what are they checking on? What are they checking on? The conditions were like get a stable job and get an apartment where you know like a yeah and why would someone need to check on that twice a week right so it's right weird. yeah exactly anyways um so that's a little uh, but again we, we have to build stakes in the movie mm-hmm. so um she puts out an ad for a housekeeper he re- changes the number so that it, the, mm-hmm. the phone numbers are going to go elsewhere she puts an ad in the paper and he calls in a bunch of fake uh things and then puts on this voice as Mrs. Mrs. Doubtfire and gets an interview and then mm-hmm. goes to his brother who is a special effects makeup artist. I mean, a very talented one. Very talented that. one. Um, it is very funny to me watching this and being like, oh, he's a voiceover actor and he and his brother is like a, you know, a visual effects, like a special, make, special makeup effects artist. And they're in San Francisco? I know. I, I was, was thinking like, that too. I'm like, what are they doing in San Francisco? What are they doing yeah. in San Francisco? Um, anyways, uh, they just can't make everything in LA um, yeah. or New York. Anyways, so uh, his brother makes him, they do, you know, a cute little montage with a lot of voices that wouldn't quite hold up anymore, some of them. Um, he does mm-hmm. a lot of accents of a lot of different cultures, and some of them you probably wouldn't do anymore. Um, yeah, I think, I think a good amount of them, probably like half. Yeah, a solid number. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then he goes in, pretends to be a Mrs. Doubtfire. Um, immediately, the two younger kids like him. Uh, and the older one, Lydia, is pissed. Because Lydia she's wants, like, Lydia wants Robin Williams to get yeah. to be that. She wants her dad to get to be the babysitter, basically. Yeah, it's funny. Like, you see, she, she I mean, I guess it's developmentally appropriate, right? But she's like mad at her dad because he's not trying hard enough but she's mad at her mom because of the situation and not you know willing like there's so many uh points in this movie where the kids are so obviously telling their parents what they want and the parents are not giving it to them yeah like please let us see dad every day this is like a very simple solution to this issue right and just like not 
meeting, you know, like not in their best interest. And, you know, she is like even at the very beginning is sort of this parentified child already because, you Mm -hmm. know, you can already tell just based on how the kids talk to him that he and their mom have a strained relationship. And so like Mm -hmm. right off the bat when he's like, we're going to throw a birthday party and she's like, mom said you cannot do this. Like she's like, yeah, like she has to. She has to be watching out and like she not has to be watching out. She has to be convinced, right? And you mm-hmm. can already see her sort of managing up because she is at an age now where she's f- fourteen or so and mm-hmm. is growing and maturing in a way where she's able to understand that there's more going on here than just dad yeah. and kids. Yeah. So yeah, so she. Yeah, parentified child's already sort of there. Although, very quickly after Mrs. Doubtfire gets hired, she turns around. Like, she sees how happy her mom is. She sees... So, and Robin Williams come in, comes in and struggles, but, like, really starts nailing it pretty damn quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, has to, like, you know, buy food instead of, like, prepare food because he doesn't know how to cook yet. But like, It's interesting because it's, like, he didn't do this when he w- was, like, the dad. The dad. In the house, but then yeah. he knows exactly how to properly take care of kids, be, you know, enforcing discipline, uh, like uh, prioritizing, you know, nutrition, like all of these things as Mrs. Doubtfire, like he knows to do, but as like himself was not able to do that. Well, the kids, which was like part of the strain. Yeah. The I mean, marriage. it makes sense because as Mrs. Doubtfire, he works for Miranda and mm-hmm. as dad, they're his goddamn kids, too. So he, you know what I mean? As equal member and standing as Miranda in the household, if things don't get done, dude, it's whatever. It's yada, 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 and all the voices and all the fun. But Mrs. Doubtfire has to prioritize, and he knows now the stakes are, and his kids were taken from him so quickly that the stakes, he knows the stakes that, like, I got to do this right because it gives me access to my children. Because otherwise I won't see them, yeah. And in doing this, he learns how to cook. He learns how to clean. He learns mm-hmm. how to do the things that if he had done it in his marriage, and Miranda is happier than she's ever been, right? Mm-hmm. And if he had done these things, if he if he was unemployed or he was just doing, you know, a few voiceover sessions in the day, and she came home and food was, cl- was like, was made, and the kids were, like, doing their homework and stuff, like, he was doing That's these true, same yeah. actions. She'd be super happy. She would be really happy. And yeah. and so he, you know, sort of the, the arc of the storyline is, of course, that he starts to kind of grow up he has this and I'll I'll talk about it uh we're going to talk about Peter Pan syndrome uh Mm -hmm. as we go into this ironically because he also played Peter Pan and Hook um but okay and Jack he did a lot of these roles um but yeah so uh introducing Pierce Brosnan Mm -hmm. the hot boy who's like an old an old flame they went to college college together I guess or something Mm -hmm. um Pierce Brosnan Actually, do you know he was my first childhood crush? I mean, he's freaking gorgeous. Like, I know, but I was movie? like, are you kidding me? But I was like a six-year-old boy being like, Pierce Brosnan, woof. Like, just like so like, <laughs> but I didn't understand why. I was like, Remington Steele seems amazing, and I'd like to get to know him very, very well. That's so funny. I remember like thinking he was so cute and being like, well, that's the best Bond. Because he was also the Bond when we were yeah. kids. And everyone yeah, yeah. being like, that's an insane thing to say. That's an insane thing to say. But he's so hot. <laughs> but he's so cute. Yeah. Yeah. He's so I'm handsome. He's so charming. Debonair. Suave. Suave and deboner. Um, <laughs> yeah. But he comes in and he's kind of this like perfect 
guy yeah. that is yeah. exactly the opposite of Robin Williams. Robin Williams mm-hmm. is a mess. Pierce Brosnan is rich and together and attentive to this woman. Mm-hmm. And that is very threatening. Uh, so Mrs. Doubtfire has these sort of little jabs and bullies, but that, the, you know, they slowly start to get to know each other a little better. A few little attempts at sabotage. Um, and then shortly, really only like halfway into the movie, he gets caught by the kids. By, by his son, yeah. By his son. He son goes into the bathroom and he's peeing standing up. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the son says some transphobic things, which I will not repeat about. Uh, I, I guess he thinks uh, Mrs. Doubtfire is intersex based on the um, right the sort of uh, language. The way that he initially talks about it, yeah. That he uses. And then both of the children are angry and disgusted. Uh, again, and like, are like, we have to call the police. We have to call the police. Yeah. Um, which again, gross. But I say it, I, I don't say it to justify. I just say it to say like, n- no more so than anything else that we had at the time, right? It, it is, right. of course, um, bad and wrong. I was thinking purple. too, like uh, the songs that they play, like Dude Looks Like a Lady. <laughs> like that yep. song was so famous or still, I mean, you know what I mean? Like that's, yeah. and when you kid, hear it in this context, you're like, oh, that is horrible. As a kid, I thought it was do it like a lady. I wish and I was it like, was. that's a great song. Yeah. <laughs> I do a Whatever. lot of things like a lady. It's really <laughs> weird to me about it. <laughs> um, yeah, so kids catch him, find out, and he gets the two oldest kids to agree to like hush Yeah, because hush. ultimately they want their dad in their life their so around. badly that they're like, yep, okay, we and understand like what's going on and we'll keep it a secret. And they get it, which again, parenting style, not great. Making your children keep secrets. Totally. Um, and again, triangulating them where like mom is the heavy mom mm-hmm. is the villain who's going to take away yeah. our time. Like we're together. having fun. And yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, uh, at, at the same time, Robin Williams starts to make friends with the like executive at, at this job that he has. He works in like a um, he works like in shipping, shipping in clerk. a TV studio. And mm-hmm. he starts to make friends and make him laugh. And then eventually he gets, um, gets sort of caught joking around about dinosaurs and, and talking. And the guy, that guy. On one um, of the TV sets, yeah. The, the t- on one of the TV sets. And the executive guy is like, I like this. This is great. This is better than what we have. Let's have a meeting. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, bring me your ideas. Seven o'clock, Bridges Restaurant, Friday night. And he's like, mm-hmm. all right. And then, of course... They want to go out for Miranda's birthday. And she's like, uh, Pierce Brosnan's taking me out. It's really important that you be there. Mrs. Doubtfire, I love you so much, Mrs. Doubtfire. Seven mm-hmm. o'clock, Bridges Restaurant, Friday night, be there. Now, mm-hmm. I just want to do an aside and say that my least favorite trope in film and television is the have to be two things at once. It and the is going such a and changing sitcom it's like unnecessarily thing. And they did it twice stressful in this too movie. they did it once with the social worker where he has mm-hmm. to go back and forth and mm-hmm. then they do it again in the end where it's just one of those things where like no you just say as mrs doubtfire no right you just i say mean she no. did try she did try yes with the, not the bingo she made up a bad lie but the answer right. is there could have been no. a very legitimate reason yeah well and honestly let's be real this woman is your boss this is not your family. Mm-hmm. So if right. she's like, no, no, it's really important. I think you can say like, I'll make you a birthday dinner another time. Right. No. <laughs> like, 
Yeah. I think, I mean, he's no. feeling the stress and competition, I guess, from Pierce Brosnan and totally. emotional. Totally, call totally, of, totally, like, totally, 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 totally. Little, the little daughter being like, please, you have to be there. Promise you'll be there. And him being right. like, okay, well. And, I you can't. know, he didn't even consider calling the, the executive guy and being like, hey, I have a family no, conflict. He did. he did. Oh, he tried? Yes. He went to the secretary and then she was flipping through her thing and oh. was like, oh, he's fully booked up for two months. And he was like, you know, I really would hate to cancel. And she's like, my advice is don't cancel. That's so right. He did. That's right. He did try. But um, but still. still, then Mrs. Doubtfire should get sick on the day. Like you could fake mm-hmm. sick. Like just tell somebody you have diarrhea. No, um, this is. Yeah. yeah, I, yeah. It drives me crazy. It's the same thing as wedding cakes falling. It drives mm-hmm. me nuts where it's like, of course. Oh, look at this grand presentation of a wedding cake. Sure. Hope mm-hmm. nobody ruins it. Mm-hmm. Like that kind of thing where it's just like, oh, yeah, it's very hacky to it's me. It's stupid. Yeah. Um, but uh, at the thing, they go back and forth and back and forth. Robin Williams trying to be Robin Williams trying to be Mrs. Doubtfire puts pepper on like Pierce Brosnan attempted has a murder allergy, is what right? it's called. <laughs> attempted murder. Yeah. I think just doesn't understand the thing, but is also like bad news. Um, it's not great. It's not great. And that's the moment where he's revealed as Mrs. Mm-hmm. Doubtfire. Sally Field gives one of the greatest... I loved it. Yeah, it was so good. Greatest lines of all time. Her, She does what in comedy it's called a reversal. So she says the same thing, but in two such completely different ways where she goes, the whole time, the whole time, the whole time! And like totally, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. you know, wigs out. Uh, super funny, super cute. Um, rut row. And she gets a little comedic moment in here and I was like happy for her. Yeah, she's, I mean, she is... Unbelievable. Um, she's so good in this movie. Uh, cut to the court now. Uh, takes the kids away, even, like, fully because he did well, this. Well, like, sees this as evidence of just, like, an you know, a psychologically disturbed person. Right. And uh, a liar. Yeah, psychologically disturbed. A liar, which we'll talk about this when we get into mm-hmm. our stuff. But, like, this was not an appropriate course of action. For the judge? For the father, for a for for the father oh, to to con yeah no his no no way. this was not this is not appropriate yeah right and just like highly suspect action where it's like not a good it's just a bad idea bro um anyways so uh you know now he only gets uh on Saturdays one hour of just supervised visitation with yeah. the kids uh, at the same time he now has a TV show as Mrs Doubtfire. Mm-hmm. on this children's TV show or on this, you know, the, the like PBS the or network, whatever, the like yeah. local PBS. Um, it's very successful. Uh, and slowly, um, you know, you see throughout the process, they do a nice job where they don't show Miranda as like anti him. You just see her as fed up, right? She's not right. trying to hurt him, but she is just fed up. She's sick and tired mm-hmm. of being sick and tired. And so you see when the judge is like, no visitation for you. You're an actor. I don't believe you. She knows he loves the kids. She knows he's. She knows that he does have their best interest at heart. Whether or not he's good at being a grown up is mm-hmm. sort of the, the, the bigger question here. But she knows his intentions and all the things. And then they come to sort of one last conversation and agreement at the very end where they decide that he gets to watch the kids every day after school. Right. Um, and he has a successful TV show. The kids are happy. Mom is happy. Uh, we don't know for 
so sure that she's still with Pierce Brosnan. I hope yeah, so. Yeah, we assume. Yeah. We assume, but also, like, I could see him being like, your ex-husband almost killed me. Yeah. Um, which that would be the bigger issue. Um, although right. they never, you can't prove it. Uh, you know what I mean? Like, nobody saw him put the pepper on it. So maybe he uh, didn't admit to it. Also, allergies don't make you choke on swallowing a whole shrimp. Well, th- so maybe it was his throat closing up and the shrimp got caught there. Shouldn't he chew? You should still chew. <laughs> it's an entire I don't shrimp. know. It was definitely like it's not it wasn't anaphylactic shock. It was choking. So it was like different because you yeah. can't Heimlich maneuver your way out of anaphylactic shock. You can't. <laughs> <laughs> we learned that in clinical psych school. Oh, OK. I missed that. It was a huge thing. <laughs> it was a huge. Anyways, show. yeah, this this movie had a happy ending, um, but it, it was like heavy. It's heavy, and it's about. I mean, it's more than anything. It is a movie about divorce. Absolutely, yeah. We don't got a lot of them, but it is a movie about divorce. Yeah. So you know, those are kind of the big themes: is like divorce. I thought like custody battles, and then. For me, one of the big things I researched was like good guy, bad guy parenting or just like gender differences in parenting styles. Nice. Yeah. I researched uh, like predictors for like uh, positive outcomes following divorce. Oh, good. Okay. So that's nice. Yeah. Hand in Um, hand. Yeah. So we talked a little bit about like just how unrealistic it is to like go to litigation every time. Yeah. It's like custody. Yeah. disputes right. um but there's also like just i did a little bit of research on just like fathers after divorce because very often custody is given to mothers mm-hmm. if the mothers are quote-unquote like deemed fit mm-hmm. um and the like proportion from this is statistics from 2018 so four in every five of the 12.9 million custodial parents in the united states were mothers so only about 20 percent uh, of the time, do they of the parents with primary custody? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you know, it's definitely skewed towards mothers mothers having like primary custody. Um, but you know, there's fathers, there's fathers after divorce, like talking about long lasting stress related symptoms, sleeplessness, crying, reduced energy, poor appetite, excessive tiredness. Um, non custodial fathers after divorce. You know, reported experiences of loss, grief, sadness, loneliness, and inadequacy and feelings of incompetence. So this is specifically fathers who, like, weren't awarded custody of their children. Wow. Am Um, I a dad who just had his kids taken away? Because I feel (laughs) all of those things (laughs) all the time. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting. Like, there's also, you know, huge differences in gender, race area of the country like in terms of these predictors or like these self you know these Mm self-reports um but basically a lot of times these non-custodial fathers um end up being disengaged from their children right um and so there's some factors that lead to that uh the problem of providing a home or home-like environment Mm -hmm. which we see in this film is like Mm -hmm. a big requirement that robin williams initially 
struggles with, mm-hmm. um, the lack of ability in dealing with their children's emotional needs, deficits in communication, father's own heightened emotional tension. Um, and then there's also some ways in which the custodial mother discouraged contact with the children, right. which we do see a little bit in this film as well. She withholds a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Um, denial of access, not having children ready or available for the visit, right. or changing the arrangement at the last minute, right. confrontation or conflict with the father at the time of the mm-hmm. visit, mm-hmm. criticism of the father to the children, yeah. um, periodic refu- refusal of access or refusal of residential access. So yeah. we see some of these things in we the see film almost too. all those things. Yeah. And so that can lead to these non-custodial fathers to kind of just disengage from the entire thing. And so, right. like, continue to fight to, like, have uh, access to their children. So it's not great. But it's interesting, too. I mean, I was not going too much into the weeds in this. But there's, like, a lot of law articles about um, or, like, law reviews about, like, how custody is determined. Mm-hmm. And there's this, like, uh, best interest of the child kind of language that's used a lot that is really unclear unclear yeah you know like uh traditionally that meant uh children like remaining with their fathers because of like um because of like their income and like that's where the stability was right um but then it kind of changed because like being maternal like uh the assumption that mothers can provide the nurturing and kind of like these gender stereotypes of how a mother is is like ultimately what's best for the child which has swung the pendulum in the other direction mm-hmm. um but i think it's you know it's still like really messy in terms of like what that means what's the best interest of the children um right in these kinds of like uh instances of litigation which is why i think mediation is a lot more frequently used now um, yeah. because joint custody does make more sense and so some of these laws are a little bit archaic when it comes to that well in this idea of best interest of the children is also such a legally uh, best interest of the children as can be mandated by law is sort of the thing because um you know one of the things that i looked into was sort of the these outcomes and like what predicts uh, you know what are the risk factors and what are the protective factors when it comes to divorce Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and so um you know, a lot of the research that we have is that, like, children of divorced families, uh, the, you know, the sort of assumption is that they're very vulnerable to acting out or, or ex- exhibiting problematic behavior. Um, and the literature does not reflect that. The literature shows that the majority of children from divorced or divorcing families do well. Yeah. They do quite well. Uh, social science literature sort of in general has come to c- consensus lar- largely that um, – Interparental conflict is a major stressor and a salient risk factor for the children mm-hmm. during familial transition. So the issue is not the divorce. The issue is the fighting. Right. And that can be present with or without divorce. That can be present with or without the divorce. That can be present in during a marriage or, or outside of the marriage. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, uh, conflicts are, you know, often diminished because of divorce. So like, it, you know, they, they lessen, but some families really continue this sort of conflicting interaction. We see Sally Field belittling him. Uh, you see her talking about him poorly in front of the kids, insulting the new house. Like, you know, 
doing yeah. these things. I mean, and he does this. Like, he said some things about her as well. They're my yeah, like yeah, she, not as many. Um, right. She really does sort of. Which granted, she's been doing the heavy lifting in this relationship and as a parent. Yeah, she's probably for full of resentment over a decade. So she's pissed, right? Yeah. Um. So one of the big mediating factors, though, of course, is just this. You know, whether the conflict is present. Mm-hmm. Um, another thing shows that the, specifically the parent-child relationship is a factor that mediates post-divorce adjustment, uh, uh, adjustment. Excuse me. So children who have positive relationships with their parents, where you can have this sort of um, a warm and understanding and nurturing relationship with a parent, are less likely to demonstrate the adverse effect of, uh, derived from a parental divorce because, despite the relationship being fractured, they're, they're sort of structure of their family shifting they have such a strong you know attachment a secure attachment to their parent you know or to one or both parents that it is not entirely dysregulating Mm -hmm. to undergo a divorce um and another thing is the just the children's specific characteristics right some kids have just sort of like the flexibility cognitively to understand uh that that this is happening right some kids are just more resilient to change some kids Mm -hmm. you know do this more easily um but you know a lot of what what goes wrong is parents not giving explanations or or properly giving like time to discuss the process of divorce right it becomes this sort of unilateral decision and it's between your mother and me and it's yada 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 rather than letting the children and so that is very scary for kids it means that um they don't understand if they don't understand why the divorce is happening, then they're just scared that good things or, or you know, that things will be taken from them without reason. Right. And so if you really sit with and let the child know, like, you know, it, you know, m- mommy and I love you so, so, so much. But for mommy and I, sometimes it's really hard for us to love each other. And it's mm-hmm. hard for us to be nice to each other. And we mm-hmm. know we'll have an easier time being nice to each other if we don't live together. But we're going to love you just as much the whole time. This is, you know, and really just sort of like explaining it at a developmentally appropriate age. Yeah. And this is actually like at the very end when mm-hmm. Mrs. Doubtfire is doing the show and she reads that let- letter yeah. from the child going through divorce, this is exactly what she says and is explaining to the child, like, it's not your fault. You know, some parents can be better mommies and daddies when they don't live with each other. Yeah. And and that really, like, is what we see in the outcomes. So mm-hmm. in many, you know, in many, and in fact, I would say as much as most divorces the parents are able to semi-effectively co-parent or at least co-parent effectively enough that Mm -hmm. the child may know like uh, my mom and dad have like a weirdness or whatever she's really mad because like even like even sometimes in cases of like infidelity where, where it's clearly one parent's fault they're still able to you know the other parent is allowed to let their ex-spouse still be a parent right and still Mm -hmm. acknowledge that their relationship to the child is not the same as their relationship to each other or Mm -hmm. you know just able to engage even if it's a tumultuous divorce and and honestly I think in this movie it does have a happy ending it's not a long year that it's about a year or so I think you know Mm -hmm. and and it's Mm -hmm. not a a crazy long time before they really find this balance um, that lets them have stability into homes. Mm-hmm. 
and Did and that's you? the thing. It's all the warmth. It's all a secure attachment in right. multiple homes. That's all it is. Right, right. I'm wondering if you looked at uh, or saw any like differences in age at divorce, like when the divorce happens, the age of the child. Uh, so I am. I, I saw something. I'm pulling this from memory a little bit. Um, so the information on the age of the divorce. Uh, is not it, there's you can't find they can't find an effect above and beyond the effects of this sort of interpersonal struggle turmoil gotcha. okay. so basically yeah, like yeah, the yeah. conflict the level of conflict expressed within the marriage and within the family is the mm-hmm. greatest predictor for like emotional dysregulation in the children right, uh, right. which leads to um, you know depression guilt anxiety resentment disruption of identity emotional instability um, even like physical dysfunction can occur um, totally. role shifting, challenges in social relationships, um, you know, all of those things are very, very normal. And uh, when uh, a child is in a very high conflict environment, so mm-hmm. um, above and beyond all things, uh, you can have an amicable divorce at, you know, when the kid is 17 uh, and it could be incredibly dysregulating for the child because they, you know, if they still don't really understand it um, or you could have an amicable thing, amicable, amicable thing at like three and the child still just can't understand it. But for the most part, um, it's really just about the type of conflict and the way that you teach your children to engage in that conflict, the way you teach mm-hmm. your children to, to talk, to, to build a language for like, Hey, this is really sad. Yeah. Your two parents loved each other very much and they're very sad that it's not enough for them to stay together, but it's always going to be enough for us to be your parents, right? It's always going to be enough for us to be a family. We're just not going to be husband and wife. And, you know, and I think it's really, it's really important. I actually just came from uh, a birthday party where uh, my good friend's son uh, was having a birthday uh, and uh, his new, his new girlfriend uh, met his ex-wife for the first time at this oh, wow. birthday party and it went great mm-hmm. and it was lovely. And, and they're adults who are doing a great job of being, you know, and, and he, uh, you know, this, my friend um, has been divorced, I think, or like the, the marriage ended, gosh, must be like about four years ago now. Mm-hmm. And, um, and he, every single night what he has 50, 50 custody and every single night he face like they do a FaceTime with the other parent before bedtime. Like they both like really do a, a great job of like making sure the other one gets their time, yeah. um, you know, and all of that. And like it, uh, I, I know that they have a lot of emotional struggle between the two of them. Um, mm-hmm. but from what I see, like you don't, you know, they're, they're working really hard to make sure that's not the kid's problem. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think that makes sense. And, and it does seem like in this movie, you know, they, they do get there eventually. Mm-hmm. So that's nice. Yeah. Um, I did research on, you know, like child outcomes, but in r- relation to parenting styles oh, cool. um, of both parents, because one of and we've talked about parenting styles before. Right. When we're talking mm-hmm. about authoritative, authoritarian, indulgent uninvolved mm-hmm. were kind of the mm-hmm. four that I think we've talked about and really the literature has looked at that mostly as uh, mother like the maternal parenting styles mm-hmm. or kind of like um, some average rating of both parents um, but there's not been a lot of research on like 
uh, both parents parenting styles so whether the they're sort of like the intersectionality same. of yeah or like style. the different combinations that can happen yeah. too um and so what we know just from parenting styles in general is that authoritative mm-hmm. is like associated with the best outcomes mm-hmm. warm so there's these and firm yes so warm there's these two firm. dimensions parental control responsiveness right mm-hmm. so parental control means like yeah enforcing rules being firm um responsiveness responsiveness means like warm Mm-hmm. Uh, and engaged so that's this authoritative authoritarian is high on this parental control but low on responsiveness mm-hmm. indulgent is high on responsiveness so very warm but not really enforcing the rules mm-hmm. uninvolved is kind of low on both of those um, right. so like a distant relationship so what i think we're seeing in this film is robin williams is very much like an indulgent yeah parent per- that's yeah, his parenting style parent is what we would is what yeah in my developmental side class we would call it yeah right and for um miranda i would say it's more authoritative like i wouldn't say she's I think like she's authoritative yeah she's yeah. not mean right i she's think tired. it's possible that there were times where she came off as more authoritarian because she did not have the room to show that warmth like she yeah. just had to be the bad guy yeah and so you know but without the dad in the picture like it's She's not still like that, you know, right. She is warm and wants to be warm. But um, so there's kind of like, you know, these hypotheses that having two authoritative parents is obviously the best. Um, And uh, but there was also this uh, measure of delinquency. Uh, So the lowest levels of delinquency were associated with an authoritative mother paired with an indulgent father when child reports were used. So this is like. They also measured it based off of researchers observing a family versus what the child reported, um, which had pros and cons to both, right? Because totally. the child is exposed to way more types of scenarios. Totally. Um, but the researchers are more well-versed and kind of Suppos- identifying. And supposedly more objective. Right. Um, and so that was something that was kind of surprising in this yeah. like kind of report. Um, and... Uh, you know, it says that, uh, like, to the extent that delinquency is an expression of rebellion toward parental attempts at controlling adolescent behavior, perhaps just having the presence of one very highly warm and loving parent removes that, like, uh, need or, you know, desire to engage in those kinds of behaviors. But wow. it seems kind of like a surprising finding for them. Um, but, yeah, so, like... There was also some gender, like, uh, especially where, like, like indulgent mothers or un, uh, what is it called? Uninvolved mothers were always associated with bad outcomes, regardless of what the father was. So even Oof. if the father was authoritative, having an uninvolved mother was still, like, really detrimental to these outcomes. Wow. Yes, which is interesting. Um, yeah. But the really other... So the other kind of authoritarian and indulgent, so authoritarian mother, indulgent father, there was one hypothesis that was like, well, authoritarian is the rules, like the is being firm. And then indulgent is like the warmth. So maybe having one of each is still like enough. But the frequency of that in this sample of like hundreds of parents um, was so low that they couldn't even test it. So... If we're thinking about this movie in terms of, let's say, when they're together, Sally Field is authoritarian 
and Robin Williams is indulgent, uh, we know that that, or, or like based on this study, it probably doesn't happen that often that this is the case. Mm-hmm. Even though I feel like there's a lot of anecdotal uh, discussions or something of like, you know, uh, mothers being like i'm always the bad guy and the dad gets to be the good guy or even like this peter pan syndrome which i think you're gonna talk about soon yeah like like, i think anecdotally i've heard about this being more of a thing but in terms of its actual prevalence i'm not sure how prevalent it is yeah well and should i go into that yeah yeah so I, so Peter Pan syndrome, let me name just for our, those listening is not a diagnosis. This is not, this is oh, sort yeah. of a, it's, <laughs> it's kind of a, um, a clinical conceptualization, but it's not like somebody can be diagnosed as Peter Pan syndrome. Um, it, and it would show up, you know, diagnoses as we talk about shows up uh, usually as like symptoms or things like that. So it's just like, um, almost in like a very Freudian kind of way, not in a super, super diagnostic way where it's like, let's look right. at this person's sort of like developmental you know, framing. Um, and so, you know, within this, I did want to look into this sort of Peter Pan syndrome because to me, uh, the, and I think, you know, of course it's a movie, right? They've got to make a movie. They've got to make it interesting. It's a very good use of Robin Williams's talents, right? It's such a funny, absurd kind of concept that he is, you know, pretending to be this old English woman, um, in order to, to spend time with his children. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, the movie itself, obviously not based in truth. Um, but I- in the case of this, and the reason I use it as this example, is it is an incredibly immature response, right? He is being told by the world he can't have something right now. And rather than do the things he needs to do to have it later, mm-hmm. he chooses to focus on getting it now through... Um, Lies, right? By, by mm-hmm. lying, by disguise, by um, deceit. Uh, that's an immature r- reaction, right? It's a very, right. very childish response to something. And selfish. Like it is selfish. It is childish. Um, I can, I, I mean, I can't imagine the amount of betrayal and, and fear that I might have if I were Miranda to discover that, like, this person has been lying to like the, the just the level of deceit in this is actually I think quite disturbing um, yeah and I think that's why she stays silent in the like hearing even though she knows how upset he is and believes that he is upset and she knows it, it's the kind of thing where the wrong thing for the right reasons is still the wrong thing mm-hmm. um, and, and so um, I looked into um, this concept of uh, Peter Pan syndrome, which is not a hugely well-researched uh, concept. There's some books here and there, um, but what I did find was a study that actually was working to develop um, a metric to find th- th- whether somebody essentially meets criteria for um, like a questionnaire to see whether you mm-hmm. like score on the Peter Pan syndrome scale. And so they sort of broke it down um, into these like seven prominent features. The first one is uh, emotional paralysis. So it says that emotions are dull or expressed in inappropriate forms. For example, anger would arise as like intense rage. Happiness would become like hysteria of joy. Mm. Frustration can turn into like self-pity, right? Um, individuals with Peter Pan syndrome are extremely self-centered. 
and I think extremely self-centered makes a lot of sense when you consider this is a very childlike reaction for things, right? Like when you take something from a child, you send a child to bed early and it is the worst news they have ever heard in their entire life. Everything right. in the world is unfair. Everything in this is unjust, right? So think about this as an adult with incredibly childish responses, mm -hmm. um, right? So uh, dilatoriness, which is not a word I know, dilatoriness is um, pronounced apathy. It's essentially an extension mm. of this negative self-image. So they're so uncertain or, or not well-defined uh, in terms of their targets, goals, thinking about their life, right? So they don't know what they want. Mm -hmm. They don't wanna, you know, I won't grow up. I'll never, you know, I don't wanna go and be a business person. I don't wanna go and do the thing, right? They really don't know. Mm -hmm. um, they have so social impotence which means they often feel very alone, anxious about their loneliness, but despite those wishes and requirements of belonging, they often can't acquire real friends. Um, they refrain from taking responsibility for their actions, um, which complicates their social relationships, right? Again, a very childish kind of thing, right? When somebody, yeah. it's the kind of thing where if somebody has to cancel on dinner, you get incredibly angry with them, right? Like you refuse right. to, for in a way that like, you're not able to take into account when you sit back to this like self-centeredness. Um, and again, like I think with some of this, like he really doesn't take responsibility for his. Well, yeah, exactly. If he had actions. done, if he had taken responsibility, this movie would have been like 15 minutes long. Right. Of course it wouldn't be a movie. Uh, right. It wouldn't be like the, the classic. I mean, this is a movie. I, I mean, I am already certain this is going to be one of our more downloaded episodes because everybody knows Everybody knows yeah, this movie. Yeah. Everybody loves it's this so movie, good. right? It's mm -hmm. so they, you know, it's an important thing. But um, the next one is called The Magic Thought. So it's that they refrain from accepting their mistakes clearly and taking responsibility for their actions, right? There you go. So, like, if, if I could just throw this party, no, no, if I throw the party, it'll be fun. Everybody will like it. It'll be fine, right? right. When it's like, no, no. And then there's these three, like, very, um, these are very, like, Freudian psychoanalytic concepts. So one of them is called mother's calendar. And this means the individual wants to get rid of the influence of his mother, but every time he tries this, he feels guilty. So this is often especially manifested when he tries to get close to a woman. He wants the woman to behave a certain way and within the boundaries he draws, but he ends up putting her in this mother's place. He essentially, any woman he dates becomes <laughs> mom. I am triggered. <laughs> right? Yeah. Uh, and then he becomes angry when the woman in his life deviates from those expectations, right? Yeah. He, he expects women. So he may have, a, you know, and a, well, and we'll, we'll keep getting there. The other is called father's calendar. So this is where he's missing being close to his father, but he decides he would never get his father's love and approval. So he feels alienated from his father and experiences problems with men who represent authority. Smoking. Okay. He quits because the smoking people, he can't right, even right, have right, the conversation right. about it uh, in the later stages of his life. Um, he also is rude to his new boss, like the day, like he's immediately kind of snarky and sarcastic to this new boss. Yeah. Uh, and then the last one is sexual calendar, meaning a woman is supposed to be addicted to a man so he can feel like protecting her. He mm -hmm. misses sharing his sensibility with a woman, but he denies that aspect of his personality for fear that his friends will see him as a weak person. And so although he's afraid of being rejected by women, he may exhibit rude and critical attitudes toward them. Again, very childish, very teenage, you know, reactions like an to women. Incel. 
and is essentially far from showing like consistent attitudes in relationships with the opposite sex, which I can imagine, it seems like the only thing he, he's really interested in is that he asks her several times about like whether the sex was like good with me. Right. And I think that's it's interesting true because you know that he, he knows the rest was not good. Like he right. knows he did not hold up his end of the bargain. Right. Yeah. So he, he does sort That's of meet, meet these criteria. And again, this is a I very like psychodynamic, like what is his relationship to his mother and father and how does it dictate his relationships totally. to, you know, the opposite sex now, which again, Freud stuff is very white. It's very cis. It's very hetero. And so like it doesn't, mm-hmm. you know, map on perfectly. But I do think that like we really see this Peter Pan syndrome. But in the film, we also get to see him sort of resolve a lot of this and he does grow up he does sort of learn to take responsibility for himself um it does feel like also a very um white privileged kind of thing where he's just been coasting along and coasting along and his whole life is gorgeous and he's living in this you know now with inflation or whatever but like that house in the 90s was still probably over a million dollars totally um san francisco was not cheap in the in the early 90s either um and so, like, you know, he's got this co- cozy life until someone takes it away from him. And right. he really stomps his feet about it. Mm-hmm. And he does something that is, I mean, awful. The it's gender bad. play is not the bad thing. The lies right. is the bad thing. And, you know, he's so good at it that it's like a delight for the viewer, right? He just, like, happens to be a great actor and, like, great comedic performer and stuff. So as a viewer, you're like, this is fun. Right. And but it's, it's told o- from his perspective. Right. But it's obviously like in actuality, like Sally Field's response when she finds out is like, should, I don't know. I was like, yeah, of course that's her response, you know, or like that yeah. she should be even more horrified. Yeah. She should. Man. Yeah. I mean, I think that all of that sounds like a lot like uh, toxic masculinity to like consequences of toxic masculinity and, mm-hmm you know, men of that, like, these are all, like, baby boomer type people yeah, in this, they are, in this they movie. Are boomers. Yeah, And, like, not being able to express their emotions and the way that these kind of, like, cishet men, boomers, <laughs> have, like, been raised, you know? And yeah. it kind of manifests themselves as, like, yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. I'm sure there's, like, a high... Uh, prevalence of like Peter Pan syndrome in men who have like also like possess some qualities of toxic masculinity as well. Yeah. I mean, I think we see a lot of Peter Pan syndrome, at least in the sort of iconography of the American household. If you look at like sitcoms, how mm-hmm. common is it that like the dad is kind of one of the kids and the mom totally. has to be the, like heavy and has to be whatever. And this it's sort like of this- every, and it's comedies. Like comedies are dependent on yeah. that. Yeah. Men are total, you know, big dumb idiots. Uh, you know, you watch movies like Old School or you watch like, you know, totally. any any sitcom where the, de- you know, uh, Home Improvement or King of Queens or, you know, all these things where like the dad is like, what, what, what? The I'm Simpsons, Family so Guy, every weird. cartoon. And my sh- shrew wife over there mm-hmm. is just withholding sex from me and is deeply unpleasant and i get to be like just one of the other children i get to be yeah a child i just want to have a, a good time account. i just want to like be fun yeah yeah totally right and it's and There's it's that- silly and it's cute but it's dangerous because it it perpetuates this idea that it, this this boys will be boys 
kind of thinking where it's like men are not expected, you know, the narrative of like, oh yeah, girls d develop and mature faster than boys, right? Becomes this thing of like, therefore we can't hold boys accountable, but it never becomes a question of like, therefore we should consider young leaders should almost all be women, right? Where it's like they mature faster. So naturally right. we should, you know, like we should trust young women much more so than we trust young men. Like, uh, you know, and like acknowledging that, no, it becomes this weird like excuse. Right. I mean, and it's also like, putting the burden of all parenting and managing households on women. Yes. Even if now we see like women are, in, you know, having careers and contributing to household income as much, if not more than yeah. husbands, but they're still expected to do all of the other stuff. To do as all well. the other things. And it's that we, oh, you, you talked about this. I can't remember the term for it. There was a, something where like basically the equivalent of like doing a chore poorly so that you no longer have to do it. So that it's no longer asked yeah. of you. Yeah, oh, like, I forget like, what it was oh, called babe, too. You wash, but yeah. you wash the dishes so much better than me, though, babe. Mm -hmm. um, and therefore, sort of like this sort of feigned helplessness of, yep. or even learned helplessness of like, mm -hmm. oh, well, you know, I just can't. The, the narratives of like when a dad watches the kids for the weekend while they're like out of town and people are like, oh, man, number yeah. one you dad. You got to babysit. Yeah. Wow, you got to babysit. And it's like dads can't babysit their own children. It's called being a parent. Like it's just yeah. being. Totally. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. It's a whole, I mean, it's a lot. And it, and it perpetuates this thing that now just overburdens women. Mm -hmm. And this movie is just such a nice example of how this narrative that once you, you really have to grow up and pause and watch it and you get to be like, dang, Sally Field is the hero here. I mean, yeah, absolutely. And she, like all of her behavior makes total sense. Yes. You know? And she only gets to be the hero. There only there is only a happy ending in this film, not because Sally Field loosens the reins. There is only a happy ending because Robin Williams grows the fuck up. Yeah, that's why there's a happy ending. Well, we talk about these disengaged fathers, too, these disengaged non-custodial fathers too. There's a whole different like scenario where the dad is just like, ah, eh, whatever. Right. And then, you know, the right. the mother is like left to like take you know care of the kids and not have to not be able to depend on the dad at all yeah totally you and know? it's this yeah it's this thing where and i think because robin williams is such a dedicated father in this film we've just set such a low bar for being a father totally. that he is never questioned in the narrative yeah, because because of that because that fact in and of itself is so rare yeah of just like being at a father is so rare in terms of what we see in the media. I don't think it is rare totally. that like fathers are dedicated to their children. Oh no, totally. But like in terms yeah. of really wanting custody of them and pursuing it relentlessly, like right. And we excuse all other behavior because that's such a noble thing, right? Totally. But it's not. But it's not. And I think you know, for those listening, like if you're in a in a marriage going through a divorce, or if you're a child of divorce, or any of these things, like I really think like you know, doing the work with either yourself, with your kids, with your partner to just contextualize the experience. And, you know, and, and I, I, I sort of started the point earlier when I talked about like, OK, they say legally what's in the child's best interest. What can they mm -hmm. legally mandate? And that's only because you cannot legally mandate that people are kind and respectful to one another. Right. Right. And teaching your child how to be kind and respectful to someone they disagree with is an incredible opportunity. So mm -hmm. as your relationship ends, showing your child that like, yeah, mommy or daddy 
or other parenty and I don't don't always get along and they make me very upset sometimes and they are worthy of respect they are worthy of compassion and I have to do my best to find a way to work with them to meet in the middle. That is the kind of lesson that would that really improves resilience. And that's why, yeah. and a lot of parents do a great job of this, which is why the stats, uh, when you compare children of divorced parents and children with married parents, th there's no difference, right? There's not yeah. a difference in terms of these outcomes and performance because most people do manage to do this, but we don't get to see that narrative. Also, social workers are not evil people. 99 times yeah. out of 100, social workers want to, the social workers work really hard to think in the best interest of these children. In the right. case of this movie, holy shit, if you're a social worker and you find out the father is like running a full con to be around these kids, that's wild, right? I, I yeah, think about it a dangerous. lot with child abuse reporting, with all of these things where like the social worker's job is to figure out if this kid is unsafe. Mm -hmm. And families, you know, th see that as like a threat to the structure of the family. But like social workers want kids to be with their parents. Right. Absolutely. If their parents are safe. Mm -hmm. That's it. Right. And so I always that try to it. work really hard when I have to think about like, oh, no, I have to report something. I have to because I'm, I'm a mandated reporter. And when I have mm -hmm. to do something, I'm like, you know what? It's not my job to figure out what needs to happen. It's my job to make sure that somebody who can figure out what needs to happen knows that knows. something needs to get figured out. Most of the yeah. time, nothing happens, and that's not a bad thing. Most of the time, you know, single incidents of child abuse do not end families, right? Mm -hmm. Single incidents of child abuse get filed so that if then you find out about more incidences of child abuse, you know, that that is how you, you know, is how it works. So if anybody totally. out there is a teacher or any kind of mandated reporter or has questions about, you know, domestic abuse or things like that, we talked a lot about it in the Mommy Dearest episode mm -hmm. as well, but... um you know, it's okay to be asking the questions and to be looking into it. Um, it doesn't mean it's going to blow up that child's life. That child's life right. may already be, may, may need to get blown up in a, in right. a way because it's not working. Right. Yeah. Oh, Fee you. Fee This is a good movie, though. But there is. There's so much to discuss, you know? I know. And we didn't talk once about all the jokes in this movie there's ten thousand jokes in this movie just a mile a minute and a mile a minute no. so many that i didn't understand as a kid i know yeah so many that i didn't understand as a kid um, well there's that whole scene with robin williams talking to pierce brosnan about like sexual innuendos or something and i still don't understand a good amount of them yeah there's so many yeah that are yeah it's just a lot of like innuendos that are very well done and that they would go over a kid's head. Yeah. Yeah. I caught a line in the um, in the makeover montage where they said some joke about like never getting don't buy certain meat from a moil. It's so chewy and realizing like, ew, <laughs> <laughs> that's so that's a gross joke. Yeah, that's but disgusting. as a kid, I didn't know what a moil was. Right, um, right. It just sounded like an interesting like I was like, that's some kind of like butcher -ish word. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, but uh, an unbelievably funny movie. A million things that you could quote. The it was a run by fruiting. <laughs> That's oh god, it's so good. Yeah, um, but so good. Uh, I've been Dr. JD Barton, and I've been Dr. Joanna Witkin. Please rate us, review like, us, like, subscribe, tell a friend. Tell, Tell two, two friends. friends. Follow our Instagram. Send us some messages. 
We love you, and we will be back we so next much. week with another episode of Real Psych. Woo woo. Bye. Bye. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.